Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. These are the first couple verses of Psalm 5 that we read together. And I love that. I love that we're reading this together. But these are the first few verses of Psalm 5 that we read together this week on January 5th. And I spent a lot of time here. I spent a lot of time. This happens to be one of my favorite passages. And when I'm overwhelmed with the circumstances of my life so many times, this is my prayer. But I dug into it a little bit more this week. And I wanted to just to share a little bit about what I saw and what I learned. And then I'm going to share a story to apply this and how, and how these words have worked themselves out in my life. So Psalm 5 verse 1 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Those words, first of all, that word consider, it means this, to have discernment and insight. Understanding, for someone to look at something and consider it diligently, to get understanding and to know. And I love that because it's not just about God hearing the words that we're saying, but so many times it's the heart behind the words that we want him to hear. So God, give ear to my words and consider, have understanding. Would you know the depths of my groaning? And that groaning is the murmuring, the musing, the whispering of our soul. When things are heavy upon us and we whisper, under our breath, or we groan or we muse the things that we're thinking about that are so heavy and so painful. We're asking God, would you hear them? Would you understand them? Oh, Jesus, understand my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. And this isn't just the silent tears. It's when we're overwhelmed with trouble and we scream out for help. That's the kind of cry this is talking about. It's a shout for help. Don't you ever just feel like that when the world, when you're overcome with the circumstances in your life, you just want to shout to God for help. That's what David is doing right here in this psalm. So give attention to the sound of my cry, my shout for help, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have to read God's word in the morning. Because if I don't, I'll never do it. So you guys might be different than me, but I do want to just put out that challenge to get up, to get up early when things are still quiet and in the morning before you're presented with all the trials of the day, let the first breath of your mouth be that cry out to God. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. Also can be translated, in the morning, I direct my prayer to you and 
watch. And what I loved this week when I looked up that word in the Hebrew, what that word watch is someone looking out, to spy out, to lean forward and to peer into the distance, waiting. And it just reminded me of the parable of the prodigal son. When the the son had wandered and gone off, we see the picture of the father standing, looking out, waiting for his son to return. That is how we need to approach God's word. When you open it in the morning and you pour out your heart before God, watch and listen and wait. Lean forward, peer into the distance and wait for him. He will meet you. I remember I shared a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, um, when I first started the one-year Bible, I, I had been just started it. I'd been praying about it. And then I went to a women's retreat and the speaker was there and she was sharing about how God had transformed her life through the one-year Bible. And one of her challenges to us that I never forgot and I've done every day as I, as I open God's word is she says, open it up in faith and an expectation waiting for God to speak to you right where you are. Now this week, um, I'm going to digress and then I'm going to jump in and share with you my story and my testimony of how God challenged me to wait and to watch for him and how God did that. See, today is January 10th. And yesterday was the 15-year anniversary of my gotcha day of Mary Grace. And I'm going to tell you her story today. I want to tell you her story because I want to honor the name of my God. And Psalm 9 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So that's what I want to do. But I'm going to digress for a second before I get into Mary's story. Because I wanted to let you in to my heart behind what I'm even doing here. And, I, and I'm going to share this right here from the beginning because this week has been such a struggle for me. As I've, as I've looked at the pages of God's word and I've thought, how can I possibly accomplish in this podcast what I dream of accomplishing? Because what my dream is for this podcast and my ability to do it it simply doesn't match. It doesn't match. Because when I look at the book before me and when I hold its pages in my hand, there are times, and that was me this week, there were times when I am simply undone by the magnitude of its worth. And yet I live in a culture of people 
Christians and non-Christians alike, who have yet to discover for themselves the unsurpassing greatness that we have in the word of God. And more importantly, they have yet to discover the intimacy that he longs to have with each of us. So I've talked and talked. Derek and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Not only have we talked and talked, I've, I've cried and I've cried and cried as I've tried to pray and cry out to God about what he is calling me to do. And as I've searched and thought and cried and prayed, this is where I've come to. To walk with you day by day through the pages of this book so that through them you would come to know Christ in his word as your king, your friend, and your father, your comforter, your helper. And that the more you know of him, the closer you get to him, you would grow strong. But here's the catch. My prayer is that you would grow strong even when you're weak. We, we looked last week in, uh, in a Psalm 1. And this week, I, I, I was talking to Derek all about Psalm 1 and that tree and how we want to grow strong. That's why we're calling it Growing Strong. It also brought me to Jeremiah 17, and it says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in Yahweh. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's my goal, that you and I could become that kind of tree. Here's the thing. I know so many of you on the other side of my voice. I've talked with you. I've cried with you. I've prayed with you. I know that your marriages are falling apart. I know you're broken. I know you're at the end of your rope. I know you're battling addictions and depression and cancer. I know your dreams have died and you don't know which way to go. You've told me your stories. And honestly, if I could have my way, I wish you were sitting on the other side of this table with me before this open book. But I want to say to you, 
And I believe I stand on the authority of the word of God to say to you, he can make you strong right where you are. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is in the book of Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's world was falling apart. And he prayed this prayer at the very end of the book. It says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer, and he enables me to stand on the heights. That's my goal. That when everything in our world is falling apart and the obstacles before us seem seemingly impossible, we would grow strong. Right there, in the middle of our greatest weakness, we would grow strong. But back in Psalm 5, we must keep watch. He will make us strong. But our eyes must be on him, keeping watch day by day. So I wanted to share today, as we talk about keeping watch, I wanted to share my testimony and one of the ways God trained me in this. It's my story of adoption. All you guys know, or actually maybe you don't, for those of you who don't know me, I have five kids. My oldest boy is 22 years old. My next daughter is, hmm, my next daughter is 20 and is expecting a baby, so I'm expecting my first grandbaby. My next son is 19, and then we have our precious adopted children. The first three are biological. My next two kiddos are adopted. Mary Grace is 15 years old, almost 16, and Esther Joy, our baby girl, is six years old. So Derek and I got married. We were actually, we were high school sweethearts. We got married when we were young, I was 21 years old, and my dream my entire life, all I ever wanted to be was a mom. And I never actually, I never once, I don't think, considered adoption. I did have an adopted cousin that I loved tremendously, Diane. She was adopted when I was a, a teenager. So I do, I did have adoption in my family, and I loved it, but I had never even considered the fact that I would ever be an adopted mom. But that all changed one morning. I don't even remember the date. Um, when Caleb was 18 months old, and I was actually pregnant with my second daughter, Hannah. And I was sleeping in one morning, and my alarm clock went off like it always did. Um, Derek was already off to work. I was still asleep. Caleb was still asleep. And my alarm clock went off, 7.30 a.m., and it went off to Dr. James Dobson and focus on the family. 
It did every morning, and sometimes I would lay in bed and listen to it, and sometimes I wouldn't. But this morning, I didn't move a muscle. Because it was the story of a woman, I still remember her name. Her name was Pat Waddenful. And she was telling her story of how she had adopted a little girl from China. And as I listened, I was stunned. At that moment in time, I had never heard of the orphan crisis in China. It's changed since then, but at that time, I heard of millions and millions of baby girls being abandoned in the streets of China. And I won't go into all the details of why, because it's complicated. But listening on that morning and hearing of all those baby girls lying in their cribs, in their orphanages. It just took my breath away. At that time, there was actually a a 2020 special that was put together, and it was about the dying rooms, where so many times there were so many orphans that the ones who were really sick, they would just put off, and they would die alone. And it broke my heart. Here I had this 18-month-old baby safe in his bed. And I was pregnant with my little girl. And yet there were millions and millions of little girls in China without a family, without a home, and without a mom to listen when they cry. So to, to say I was stunned is an understatement. I couldn't move. I couldn't get those baby girls out of my mind. I knew that God was doing something. I knew that he had stirred and touched something deep. I just couldn't grasp it, but I could not get them out of my mind. The next day, second half of her story, I woke up early in anticipation of hearing the rest of it. And I'm going to tell you what broke my heart more than anything on that day was when this woman, when they went and they they got their little girl. By the way, sometimes God does this to pull at our heartstrings because the little girl that they were adopting, her name was Hannah. And their Hannah was 18 months old. So I'm at home on the other side listening. and And my Caleb was 18 months old, the same age as her daughter. And my little girl was named Hannah. See, there's no accidents with God. He had a plan for me. And he was using these details to pull me in. Pull me in. Because when she brought, when this, when this woman and her husband, Pat, brought their little girl to the hotel that first night in China, they put her to bed. They loved on her. They put her to bed. And they thought, oh, she's quiet. She must be asleep. But they went over and looked in her crib. And this little girl had silent tears running down her cheeks. And I just started crying. Because I had Caleb in his bed. And when he would wake up, there was times he would cry. But it wasn't silent. 
What 18-month-old baby lays in their bed with silent tears? As adults, we get really good at that. But babies, they don't hide that way. So what had happened to this little 18-month-old girl that had trained her to cry silent tears in her bed? It broke my heart. So I prayed, and I told God, I want to go. God, I want to go to China. Could you keep one of those little girls for me? Could I go get one of those girls? I didn't talk to Derek about it right away because we had never talked about adoption. I didn't know how he was going to feel, and it was too precious to me. I, I didn't want him to say no. And so, totally unlike me, I don't usually keep things to myself for very long, so totally unlike me, I just prayed. I said, God, if this is you, if this is you calling me, then you have to do in him, in Derek, what you've done in me. I don't know how many days went by. The fact that I let any time go by is is a miracle for me, but, but I waited. And finally, I, I, I remember I was sitting in my blue rocking chair, the same blue rocking chair I have in my little house now, sitting in my blue rocking chair, and I, I just started sobbing. And I told Derek all that I had heard, and all about the little girls in China, how they were found in the streets, how they cried silent tears. Some of them were strapped to potty chairs hour after hour after hour. And when I was done, Derek looked at me. And he said, Elizabeth, I've always dreamed of adopting a child. I just didn't think you were ready. And just like that, we were set. We knew that God had begun. Someday, he would complete. We, we began to talk about adoption all the time. Now, let me say again, I had an 18-month-old baby, and I was pregnant with Hannah. So there wasn't too much we could do at the time, but we did start to dream. And we always thought, well, I think what we want, maybe three kids, maybe four, but we thought, well how about we have three biological kids and then we'll adopt number four. That just, that just kind of made sense to us so that someday, you know, we had this dream that, that we would have our own biological children and then the cherry on top, God would send us to China and we would bring a little girl home. But as we talked and as we planned, now this was time, you know, time had gone on and now Hannah's born. (laughs) It's funny because Hannah, was my most difficult child by far. So Hannah's born and she never stopped screaming. So I had Caleb, he's two, and Hannah, she's four months. And just a heck of a time with that newborn baby. I think she, I think there was times she screamed 24 hours straight, never seemed to stop. But anyway, 
On the good days, Derek and I would still just dream and talk of adoption. And what we found out one day, I just think Hannah was around four months old. We had been talking and processing about adoption. And a, a really popular country to adopt from at that time was Romania. And there was going to be a special, someone, a friend of mine had told me about a special on Romanian adoption that was coming up on TV. And so we um, did everything we could to, to put the kids down early. It was going to start at eight o'clock at night, put the kids to bed the best we could. And we sat down. And once again, much like when I listened to the Pat Waddenfall adoption story, I was stunned because I'd never been inside one of those orphanages before. And here they took us inside. And I saw kids, they never got out of their cribs. I saw babies banging their heads on the sides just for stimulation. And they were so alone and it broke our hearts. When we turned off the TV that night, Derek and I sat in silence for a long time, just taking in and processing the pictures that we had seen. Because we knew the same thing that had happened in Romania. It was the same thing that was going on with those little girls in China. And we made a decision that night. We kind of said... Are we crazy? We have a beautiful little boy and a beautiful, although loud, little girl. Why would we ever have more children of our own when there are so many children who need families? We prayed together that night. And our prayer was simply this, God, we are done. You have called us. You are calling us to adoption. We know that. We know this is you. And we want to follow. So God, we're not going to have any more biological children. Would you make a way for us to bring two of those little girls home. We went to bed dreaming of adoption, <laughs> praying of adoption, but I will never forget waking up in the middle of the night. It's one of those, it's kind of like you see in the movies when you wake up and I literally, I shot up in bed. I shot up in bed in the middle of the night and this is what I thought I'm pregnant. I just knew. I had gone to bed saying, I'm not going to have any more babies of my own. But in the middle of the night, I don't know why I had that thought. But I thought in the middle of the night and I shot up in bed, I'm pregnant. But here's the thing. What about the little girls in China? What about the kids that we saw on that TV screen last night? I don't want to be pregnant. I went back to sleep. Actually, no. I tried to go back to sleep. I tossed and turned all night. 
I already shared with you that Hannah was four months old and a very difficult baby. So not only did I have a four-month-old, I had a two-year-old, and now I'm pregnant. So I went into the cupboard because it had only been what, a year since I found out I was pregnant with Hannah, I still had a pregnancy test. And let me just say, this was stunning to me because we were very actively trying hard against having a baby at this point. So to me, it seemed like this is impossible, but somehow I just knew that I was. So anyway, I had a pregnancy test in my cupboard still from the year before, and I took it. The funny thing is, Derek was actually on our computer in our bedroom looking up adoption agencies, and I'm in the bathroom taking a pregnancy test. I took it, and I looked, and I looked, and there was just the faintest little line, just the faintest little line. I brought it into Derek, and I said, do you think? Is this right? I immediately sent him back to CVS and I says, can you get a two pack? Because I don't, I don't want to be pregnant. And if, if I am, I want to make sure that this thing is correct. So Derek took off, went to CVS down the street, brought home another two pack pregnancy test. I took both. Each one seemed to come back more positive than the next. But with each one, the grief in my heart began to build. This wasn't the plan. All I could think about were the images of those little kids in the cribs banging their heads against the wall. How could I be pregnant? This wasn't supposed to happen. I remember Derek says, you know, go, I'll take the kids. You go in the bathroom. Just take a shower. And I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and cried out to God. What is going on? Wasn't this you? Wasn't this you who put this dream in our hearts? Like, isn't this, don't you, aren't you the God of orphans? Have I somehow made a mistake? After breakfast, Derek and I uh, took the kids to my parents' house. I was thinking, okay, Derek, we, we got to get our heads around this. So we took the kids to my parents' house. They must have thought our marriage was just falling apart because my eyes were red and we just ran over there say, hey, can you just take the kids for a little while? And we kind of walked out the door we just went back home and I remember just sitting on our couch. Derek just had his arms around me and I just poured out my heart to God. Just like that text said earlier in Psalm five, consider my groaning. Oh Lord, unto you do I cry. And as I prayed, I asked God to do something because everything was so jumbled in my mind. And as I just prayed and prayed, I poured out my heart to God, told him everything that I was feeling. I asked him to give me a promise. 
a promise that this pregnancy was his plan. And though I couldn't see or understand, I hadn't somehow made a mistake. I mean, I know the scriptures and I know that something like this can't happen outside of God's plan and God's will. I know that in my mind, but my heart was struggling. And so I asked God, would you, would you give me a promise that this baby is of you? And as I prayed, just a song started to play in my mind. The words of a song from when I was a little girl. We used to drive in the car, and my mom would often play Salty the Singing Songbook. And one of the songs said this, In his time, In his time, he will make all things beautiful. In his time. I stopped crying because I knew that God had answered me. He had given me a promise. And it was basically this, Elizabeth, you may not see. And you may not understand, but what I am doing is good. And I'm asking you to believe me. And here's my promise to you. I will make all things beautiful. In his time, that's from Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's actually a verse, is a promise in the Bible that he will make all things beautiful in his time. As I began to process over the next couple days, just trying to to take in and process the fact that I was pregnant, I have to say, I was kind of embarrassed. I mean, here I was, an eight, no, he wasn't 18 months, he was two years old, I had a four month old, and I'm pregnant. People look at me like, don't you know how that happens? So I was embarrassed, I was just wrestling with so many feelings. But as I did, I looked at this verse. I I just, I started to think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I went, as I was thinking of it, I, I went and I looked, looked up her story. And I read this. The angel said to her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Like, I don't understand. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And I love Mary's response. I am 
the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love that. She didn't question it. She could have been stoned for being found pregnant. Did people believe her? Who's going to believe that the child in her womb was from the Holy Spirit? That just doesn't happen. But her response was this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And that became my prayer, actually. I wanted to surrender myself before God Almighty. To surrender my plans. This wasn't what it looked like to me. But God calls us to surrender. That's what the kingdom of God is about. We're called to surrender to his reign and his rule in our life. And I wanted to be like Mary. And so I said to Jesus, I am your servant. May it be to me, whatever you say, whatever you say, Lord, may it be to me as you have said. I'm kind of funny or different in the way that I name my children. My first two boys are Caleb and Joshua. And I take their names not because, although I do like their names, okay, I admit I like their names, but I love them not just because of their names, but because of their stories. And I already had a Caleb. He's named after the two spies. And Hannah was named after Samuel's mother. So I already knew with this baby, if it was a boy, it would be Joshua. But I decided right then and there that if it was a little girl, I would name her Mary. So Derek and I talked about it, and and it's funny, but because we loved that story of Mary, and that's where the name came from. But when I thought of naming my baby Mary, I chose way back then to name her after Mary of Bethany because of the story of the woman who poured out her heart and washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her perfume. Anyway, at this point, um, I don't know. We, we, we just, you know, now we have three kids. So the, you know, I went through my pregnancy, we had Joshua. And of course, you know how it is, moms, the moment you see your baby, you're completely in love. And I looked at Derek holding our baby and what I said, the first words out of my mouth were Derek, he did it. It's beautiful. We trusted him and he's given us this boy. He's given us our Joshua, and isn't his plan beautiful? But little did I know, it was just the beginning. 
Now we had three kids under three. Life was crazy. I actually call those days the dark days because having three kids under three, Hannah still had, she had terrible, terrible ear infections as a little girl. So she just cried all the time. And I'm up nursing and just, they're so close together. I just remember being completely exhausted 100% of the time. But sometimes when it was quiet, Sometimes, when all the kids were sleeping, I would sit down with my Bible and I would dream. Because even though God had said, not yet, I couldn't get my little girl in China out of my heart. I couldn't. Life was crazy. I was dealing with chaos every day. But in the middle of the night, my heart was in China, dreaming about the little girl that I would one day bring home. One of the things we also found out, we didn't know this when we first started looking into Chinese adoption, but one of the things that we had learned is that I had to be 30 years old to adopt from China. I don't, maybe I was, let's see, 26 when I, when I first heard Pat's story about Chinese adoption. Didn't know it at the time, but it was impossible for me to adopt then anyway. So this was our plan. We were going to um, start our adoption process when I was 29 and a half years old. So that when I was 30, because there's a lot of paperwork involved, but when I was 30 years old, we were going to send our paperwork over to China. We didn't want to miss a day. So that was the plan. So over the years, now things had changed. We had we had packed up. We had moved out of where we had been living. We moved to Temecula. Um and it was during that time um, that, we, that, we've, that we moved to Temecula that we thought, well, adoption, we learned also, is super expensive. So we thought we're going to do everything we can to pay off debt, to save money, and to get ourselves financially ready for adoption again, so that when I'm 29 and a half, we can move forward. Like I shared a couple years ago, I had shared the story, I mean, a couple weeks ago, I shared the story of Karen, how we were reading the one-year Bible together. We were growing strong together. We had the one-year Bible studies at our house. And so all of that was going on as I was, as I was nearing this time when we would finally be able to adopt a child. But a couple of things happened at that point, two of which were car accidents and what was devastating to me is we didn't we didn't have a lot of money at the time saving money at that time in our lives was very difficult and being in two different car accidents back to back completely wiped out our bank account and we had been working and trying and we didn't have a lot saved up but at least enough to start our adoption And I'll never forget because 
on May 20th. That's the day that I realized that our bank account was empty. And we had no money to begin an adoption. I cried. I cried and cried. But I did what had become my habit to do. And I grabbed my one-year Bible. And I poured out my heart before the Lord. And I told him, God, you knew. We've been working at this for four and a half years. You knew this was the plan. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to look. God, all we've dreamed about all these years was going to China. And now when we can finally begin, we can't. So I come, God, desperate before you. Would you speak? Would you show me what you're doing here? And what do you want me to do? Well, God never ceases to take my breath away because I opened up my Bible that day and all I had to do was look at the story and I knew God was speaking because the story was about the death of Lazarus and how God raised him to life and how he met his sisters, Martha and Mary of Bethany. That's the name of my little girl. Wait, that's the name of my little girl. God, what are you saying? And as I read through the story, God's word spoke so clearly. He said to me, Elizabeth, Don't you think that if Lazarus died and I could speak the word and raise him from the dead, don't you think that I can do the same thing with your bank account? I am God Almighty. Will you trust me? And more than that, the Holy Spirit said, Elizabeth, who was I speaking to? And he was speaking to Mary of Bethany. And what he said is this, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Elizabeth, you have a choice. I am calling you to move forward with this adoption. And I'm going to promise you this. If you will believe, if you will move forward in faith, You will see my glory. You will see my glory. Are you going to trust me? So I called my husband and I said, Derek, I know we don't have any money. God is saying, move forward. And we filled out our adoption paperwork and we mailed it in. And we said, Jesus, We believe you, and we are going to watch 
for you to move. <sighs> Two days later, Derek got a call in to his boss's office. And his boss handed him a check, a bonus check. Totally unexpected. And it covered the entire first part of our adoption. Because if we believe, we would see his glory. And I was only starting to see that. I would go day by day. My kids were all young. And so what I would do is I would go with my one-year Bible and I would read it at Starbucks and I would pray. And I was constantly during this time, I was constantly just watching for God, calling out to him. The, the adoption process was bigger and more difficult than we could have ever imagined. He would just provide step by step, day by day, but we would never know where the money was going to come from. But he was building my faith. And so, um, I don't know, it took probably around eight months, the, the, the paperwork for Chinese adoption is intense. There's just so much to do. Paperwork, home studies, house studies, just fingerprinting, background checks, all that stuff. So it took us around eight months to, to finally complete, maybe even more than that, to finally complete the paperwork. And then we came to February 8th, 2005. So we were done with our paperwork and I was going to get up in the morning, the morning of February 8th, and drive to the Chinese embassy. And I'm going to tell you, I was so nervous. First of all, I was driving to downtown LA by myself, and I, I just get nervous going into big cities. Um, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the Chinese embassy. So I took my one-year Bible, and I tucked it in my purse. And uh, for those of you who have adopted before, you might, you might just be able to relate to this fe feeling. But as I held that paperwork in my hand, it was as if I was holding my very child. And there were so many things. I remember just literally shaking, physically shaking as I handed it off to the Chinese embassy because it needed to be stapled properly. And there was all of these things that needed to be done just so, or China wouldn't accept it. So I'm in my car, I'm driving to the Chinese embassy and I get a phone call. And it's a phone call from my very best friend in the whole world. Her name is Mindy. We had been roommates in college, friends for years and years, and had babies at the same time. I had actually been at the birth at the first couple of her kids, and so I, I got a call from her. And the call was this. I was so surprised. I don't remember if it was early. I just remember being surprised because she was at the hospital getting ready to have her baby. I knew she was pregnant. She was very close, but she was at the hospital um, getting ready to have her baby. So here I am, I'm in the car, I'm driving to the Chinese embassy and I get a call from my best friend in labor having her baby. And throughout that whole day, as I was going through, I was in the embassy doing everything I needed. I was constantly checking in with Mindy as she was in labor. And then on my way home, I stopped at a little Mexican restaurant and I pulled out my one-year Bible. And on February 8th, I read this. 
Now Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on the head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this, is, this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done will also be told in memory of her. It was her story. So at the end of this day, as I've taken my paperwork to the Chinese embassy, then I took it to the FedEx office. And after months and months of preparation, I was finally ready to send it off. And on that very day, as I sent that paperwork off, my part being completed, I knew God's hand was there because he told me her story right there in that little Mexican restaurant through my one-year Bible. And so the waiting began. Knowing you have a child on the other side of the world is just agony. I would constantly, I, I, I just remember certain places that I was. I remember going to the Ralph's parking lot and walking through just the parking lot and just praying, God, is she cold? Is she safe? Is she crying? Oh, Lord, would you watch? Would you watch over her when I can't? And as I got closer and closer um, to the day when, when we would finally get matched with our child, as we got closer and closer, um, I heard finally, that we were in what was called the matching room. When you get to the matching room, that's when they basically take your paperwork and take the paperwork of the baby and they just match you together. And so as I knew we were in the matching room, we were finally at this process, I would just pray and pray and pray that God would be there, that God would be there. And I knew, I always told people that God is going to be in this because my paperwork has to come up at the very same time that the child that's been chosen by God to come up and that he in his sovereignty would match us together. So finally here on the other side of the world, I knew that this was happening and this was going on. And during that time, I got another phone call. This one again from my best friend, Mindy. So over in China, our babies, our paperwork is in the matching room. And on this side of the world, I get a phone call and it's from my friend Mindy. And she says, Elizabeth, I just want you to know that last night I had a dream. And my dream was that our daughters were born on the same day. And we just laughed and thought, now wouldn't that just be incredible? That if our babies would, were born on the same day. And we laughed and we dreamed. And Mindy had said, you know, Elizabeth, though, it was really vivid. 
And I just want you to know that it was so real that I went downstairs. I know that Mary is in the matching room, that your paperwork is being matched. I went downstairs and I just prayed for her last night. And at this point, it just seemed that the waiting just dragged on and on and on. And sometimes it would just be so, I'd be so weary. And adoptive parents, I know you'll understand this because no one else knows what's going on in your heart as you walk around. No one else knows that you're pregnant, you're paper pregnant. And you're just, I was just weary because the waiting had been so long. And I just wanted to know, is she okay? And one of these days, again, I was at Starbucks just telling God my heart and, and the waiting was so hard. And I opened up my Bible and it was to Romans 12. And Romans 12, it was specifically Romans 12, 12 says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And right in the middle of my waiting. This is what God said. This is your call. This is your call, Elizabeth. Be joyful in hope, in the hope of what I'm going to do, that I am going to fulfill to you what I've promised. Remain joyful in hope. But be patient in affliction. Because in our patience is where he works out all things for us. It's where he grows us strong. But we have to be patient in the midst of our affliction. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I hear your every word. And I can see her. And I know her. And I know what I'm doing. Be faithful in prayer. And this began to be my calling as the waiting seemed so intense and we waited and waited and it seemed like we were going crazy at times because the Chinese government just had so many delays. So many delays. I remember one time, I think we were waiting for the signature on this paperwork and the guy was out of town. This is things that were going on in, in China that we could know through our adoption agency, things we were waiting for. And those of us back home who were waiting to be matched with our little girls would just pull our hair out because we just wanted the signature. We just wanted to be matched with our little girls. And we were just so hoping for the day when we would get those phone calls. So anyway, we're waiting. November has actually come. I knew we could know from our adoption agency that we were close. And just day by day, we didn't know. We were waiting and then things would delay and just the waiting and the agony. And I remember standing at my kitchen sink one time doing my dishes and just being so frustrated with the wait. And God just said to me, Elizabeth, stop waiting on the Chinese government. Stop waiting on them and wait on me because I have a day. I have a day and it will not come a day before 
I have planned, but it also won't come a day after. I have a day. People were calling me all the time, and that became my mantra. God has a day. God has a day. People would call and say, have you heard the news? I'd say, no, we're still waiting, but God has a day. My hope is in God, and he has a day for me. And I love how God works. And I love because he hears the musing of our hearts. He knows us. Because the day that finally came on November 30th, 2005, the day we had been waiting for, I got a message that morning from a friend, had no idea what was going on, had no idea that I was saying, God has a day, God has a day. And she called me back in the day. Just, I just know we had an answering machine because she left me a message and she says, Elizabeth, I woke up this morning and I'm praying for you. And I just want you to know that God had me call you. And this is what he wants me to say. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And she had no idea that this was the day. This was the day that I'd been waiting for all these years. Later on that morning, we got a phone call. You have a little girl in China. Her name is Lian Ziqing. And she was born on February 8th, 2005. The very day I had been traveling to the Chinese embassy. And the very day that Mindy had called me and I had walked with her through the birth of her child over the phone. And the very day that God had given Mindy a dream. And the dream was that our daughters were going to be born on the same day. February 8th, 2005. And it was the very day that I had picked up my one-year Bible in that little Mexican restaurant, and God spoke to me her story. And let me just say, who is like our God? Who is like our God? That when we surrender to him and walk with him, I'm telling you, he meets us. And he knows us. And when we watch, he lets us see him face to face. And I'm going to tell you, you see, I traveled with a bunch of people to China. There's all these families. It was fun because we were able to get to know each other through the internet and we sort of knew each other's stories. And we thought, how did God do it? How did God do it? When there's so many babies, because see, my God 
had my baby matched with my paperwork at just the right time, but it wasn't just me. And I don't remember all the stories, but I do remember too. There was another family in our group who was adopting and and had chosen to name their daughter. I don't remember what it was. But then as the adoption process moved on, they changed her name and they says, no, we're going to name her Willow. Well, when they got the matching call that day, they were overwhelmed because not only had they chosen to name her Willow, but her Chinese name was also Willow. Who is like our God? Another family had miscarried twin baby girls years before. And when they got their call, very few twins are ever matched. But when they got their call that morning, they were matched with twin baby girls. God didn't get it wrong. Every family had a story. And all I can say is who is like our God? And I will worship him forever. But that's not the end. That's not the end. The month of December was was all about, you know, the excitement and packing and dreaming and buying the clothes. We finally knew what size to buy and all that, that fun stuff. And then very early in January 20, 2006, we boarded a plane to fly to Beijing. We got there totally jet-lagged and spent the first couple days getting to know the other families. We got to be there with a group of fabulous, fabulous Christian families. We got to travel around and see Beijing and the Forbidden City and all the sites in China. We could know her culture and and do all that tourist stuff all the while, all the while just counting down the days to January 9th when they would put those babies in our arms. The night of, um, let's see, January 9th was when we got them. So the night of January 8th, we boarded a plane going from Beijing to Guangzhou. And... The next morning is when we would get our babies. I laugh now. Um, I don't know if anybody else from our travel group would remember this, but I remember I remember it so clearly because while we were preparing for travel, there was this debate on which hotel in Guangzhou we should stay in because we had wanted to stay at the White Swan Hotel. It's a famous hotel where everybody who is anybody adopting a Chinese baby stays at the, at the White Swan Hotel because there's a famous red couch and you have to get their picture taken on the famous red couch. We had wanted to stay there. But for some reason, there was something that went on and, and we couldn't until several days in. And so we were going to stay at a different hotel. And I laugh now because I know it was God. Because on January 8th, when I walked into that hotel, 
I looked up, and there was a Starbucks. Now, if you remember, all throughout the journey, I would get my one-year Bible, go and sit at Starbucks and read. And it was in Starbucks that God was meeting me about the adoption and teaching me and growing my faith. So when I walked into that hotel that morning, it was as if God said, Oh, Elizabeth, just wait. Tomorrow you're going to get your little girl and just wait. I can't wait to meet with you. Next morning. Here it is. How many years had I been waiting? I woke up early, grabbed my one-year Bible, and ran downstairs. I could hardly wait to get there. I don't know. The people in the Starbucks must have thought, who is this crazy American? I I just was so excited. And I sat down with my mocha in hand. And I opened up my one-year Bible. And I read this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the very time God had spoken to him. God gave Sarah her promised child. And on the very day, God had said all those years ago, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And he said, trust me, because I have a day. And the very day that I opened up my Bible in China, and I looked at his word, it was the day that God gave Abraham, his promised child, and he said, Elizabeth, today I'm giving you yours. I was completely undone at the magnitude of my God and the intimacy in which he knew me. One of my prayers had been that after all of these years and all of these things that God had been asking me to trust him with was that when they put that baby in my arms, that it would just be me and God in my mind's eye. I would be standing before the throne of God. And I wanted to be able to say, oh my God, I trusted you. And when I opened up the Psalms that morning, God gave me Psalm 910, and it says this, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, O Lord, have never forsaken. And I stand here before you today to say, He has never forsaken me. But my challenge to you is to watch for Him. That when you open up this book every day, And pour out your heart to him. 
Watch. Watch for him. You see, the kingdom of God is all about a people who are willing to lay their lives down and surrender to the reign of God and be actively involved, actively participating in an intimate partnership with him. That's what this story is about. He had called me all those years ago to surrender my dreams to him. But then he met me and he walked with me day by day by day. Do you remember how I shared with you that when I had first found out I was pregnant with Joshua and I was devastated and he had given me that promise that he would make all things beautiful? The day after we got Mary Grace, I finally had my baby. We had loaded up on the bus. We were going probably to get supplies for our babies, strollers or something. We had loaded up and I'm holding her and I'm just in awe of what God had done. Our adoption translator was there and I said, can you tell me what Jing means? And she said, Jing means beautiful. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because God had said that he would make all things beautiful. And he did. And he does. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. I look out. I lean forward. I peer into the distance and I watch and I wait for my God. Join me.